served with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby. Done. Hello and welcome to this week's Bad With Money Mailbag episode. I'm Gabby Dunn. This week's Wednesday episode was a deep dive into medical tourism with Kurt Schaefer of Medical Tourism Mexico and with a Bad With Money fan and longtime listener, Lee Halperin, who wrote into us about how she almost died before returning to the Middle East for treatment. Um, it's a really amazing conversation about largely the immigrant experience in a lot of ways. Um, and about what's uh, what's lacking in the American healthcare system, um, and it's it's a bit more nuanced than that. I, I really encourage listening to it. It was a fascinating conversation with both people. Um, before we get into this episode, I want to promote something. I have a new audiobook and ebook out called Stimulus Wreck. It's on Scribd. It's a Scribd original. It's an update to the Bad with Money book, which came out in 2019. Stimulus Wreck is uh, about rebuilding after a financial disaster, whether that's the last three years of a global pandemic or um, if this is the first time that you've decided you want to look at fixing your finances, but it just so happens to be in the shadow of a global pandemic and economic crisis, or if um, you were affected by, let's say, personal disaster during a global disaster. I'm really proud of it. Uh, It is out now. It's called Stimulus Wreck, Rebuilding After Financial Disaster. It is available free for 60 days, free, free, free for 60 days. Starting now, it came out on June 8th. Uh, if you go to try.scribd.com slash done 60, you can get the book for free. You can also listen to me read it if you want. Okay, on today's show, we're going to read a five-star Apple review, a Discord comment about our Dan Olson crypto episode, and three emails up top, one funny one from Darcy about corporate pride, one from Anonymous about childcare costs, and one from Betty about a credit score error that went in her favor. In the second half of the show, I'm going to read an email about participating in medical testing for money, a reply to our medical tourism episode, and then an email from Nadine about real estate investing worries, one from Ariel about pelvic floor PT, and another about carnism in relation to our veganism episode we did a while back with Christopher Sol Eubanks and Andrew Lau. I have news about Patreon merch, and also I'm going to remind you about Stimulus Rec. So... Today's Apple review is very short. It's from Shenanigans, and it just says, I love you, Gabby. That's all, smiley face. And honestly, that counts as a review. So thank you so much. Um, That's five stars. Doesn't matter how much you wrote. It matters that you did it. So thank you, Shenanigans. Now I'm going to hop over to the Discord, which is uh, popping off, as always. I know I say that every time, and it's probably cheesy. But I'm a millennial, and that's how it goes. This person on the Discord, and I don't say people's name from Discord just to keep it a little private unless you tell me I can. So uh, someone commented and said, one of the most insightful things that Dan says in Line Goes Up is how these crypto bros want to be the boot in a new system that is like the old system with different people in power instead of truly imagining a system of equality. For those that don't know, we did uh, an episode called Crypto Part 2 with Dan Olson. He is the creator of a video called Line Goes Up, The Problem with NFTs. And yes, we do talk a little bit about the be the boot scenario, wherein instead of creating a system of equality, it's just a system where new people come to power and treat everyone the exact same way. 
Uh, this person continued, I feel like a lot of people in various movements can't imagine a world without a boot. So they fight to become a new boot instead of changing the world. And um, the boot is a reference to the people in power who are kind of stepping on less economically advantaged or more marginalized people to get to where they are. And then someone else responded and said, this one definitely felt more understandable. Yeah, people commented that part two of the conversation about crypto with Dan Olson maybe should have gone first and then part one should have gone second. So if you have the opportunity, I would maybe listen to part two first and then part one second. This is an email from Darcy about Pride Month and it says... Hi there, Gabby. I've been listening to your show for about a year and a half now, and I really appreciate your fresh take on financial advice. I know slash knew nothing about planning or investments, and I have found some really great nuggets of wisdom over the last 18 months. I recently listened to your episode on pinkwashing. Thank you for putting this out. It's such an important thing to remember as we go into Pride Month. I thought you might enjoy this jaunty little Facebook post that I put up. The original post in the screenshot was also another important reminder for all of us. All the best, Darcy. And then Darcy sent a very funny uh, screenshot from Facebook that is from a person named Father Nathan Monk. And it says, I got y'all something to start off Pride Month. And then it's a picture of a brick, which if you don't know the story of Stonewall, go look it up. Uh, brick is integral. And then Darcy wrote, amazing. And as we start Pride Month, I also implore you to examine where the money goes as companies start their rainbow washing campaigns. If they don't demonstrably donate to and support LGBTQ causes all year long, not just when it's profitable or convenient, then you may decide to reconsider. Even better, wear all the rainbow stuff I know you already have because you're fabulous and donate some money here or to other worthy causes. And then she links to CanadaHelps.org. Happy Pride 2020 to everybody, every damn person. Um, and I guess the specific charity is called Fairy Tales Presentation Society. So thank you for that, Darcy. We are in Pride Month right now. We are uh, smack in the middle beginning of it. And that is a great reminder. The Brick, if you don't know, Google it. I'm sure all of you listening do know because you're gay and you're here. Okay, this is an anonymous email about childcare. Hi, Gabby and BWM. I just listened to the mailbag where your listener Liz encouraged you to do a childcare costs episode. Yes, please. I've been listening since before I was a parent, and I'm now a parent of an almost two-year-old, and I'm pregnant with my second. I live in the Bay Area, which is a very high cost of living area, and childcare expenses are no joke. I live in a cheaper but not cheap suburb in the East Bay that would have been considered very expensive compared to an average American city. Here are some financial things about kids that I did not know before having a kid. Daycare. Daycares are not open for extended periods of time. Most daycares open at 8 a.m. and close at 5 p.m., and if you are lucky, you might find one that's open until 5.30 or 6 p.m. But 6 p.m. is very rare in my experience. That means that you will need a job that is flexible enough to accommodate daycare hours. Because of traffic, it takes me an hour to get from my job to the daycare. If I were a single parent and had to do drop-off and pickup every day, I would not be able to use our daycare. Our daycare costs $1,350 a month, $16,200 a year, for an in-home daycare, which means it's a daycare in someone's home and they cap it at about 12 or 14 kids. There is usually less structure than a preschool that may follow a specific curriculum like Montessori. In my opinion, our daycare feels so expensive, but in my searching, the next cheapest option was $1,700. And one city over, the average I was seeing was closer to $2,000 a month per kid. Once baby number two joins daycare, we will be paying $2,700. $32,400 a year for an affordable option. I also did not realize how many days a daycare is closed a year. 
Ours is closed for two weeks in the summer, two weeks in the winter, and a week in the spring, and then all holidays. We do not get a financial discount for the months that they close for multiple weeks and need to pay more money for childcare if we can't take that time off work. This is really hard for parents who don't get a lot of PTO and or have helpful family in the area. Some daycares don't provide food and snacks for the kids, so parents additionally need to make and prep that as well. Luckily, ours does. Parental leave. Maternity leave in the U.S. is a total mess. I live in California and my employer offers paid family leave, so I am relatively lucky. However, one thing I would flag as a warning to listeners is that when I went on leave, the information I was provided by my HR rep was wrong, and I ended up filling out state disability incorrectly based on his instructions. I was called by state disability when I was literally in the hospital, so I didn't pick up, and that almost resulted in me not getting my disability pay. It took weeks and many calls and emails to sort out. I was so sleep deprived and my son was not gaining weight, which meant we had to drive him to the hospital almost every day to be weighed. I wasn't exactly in the best problem-solving state of mind. I remember during one teary call, I asked the HR rep to please just confirm that he would be able to sort out the mistake and that I would eventually be paid, and he said he was sorry he couldn't confirm that. When I was sharing my story with a new moms group, I was pretty horrified that this was a trend and that a lot of HR departments give women inaccurate information. Anywhere from how long they can be out to if they can tack on vacation time to correct information about how to get paid. One of my coworkers was called by our HR two months before her maternity leave was supposed to end, and they told her they had made a mistake and that her leave was actually over in one month. When she pushed back, they said that if she did not return on the new date, they could consider it her resignation. My husband's company offers no paternal leave, but lets employees take two weeks off unpaid if they want. Health insurance for kids. For people who are thinking of becoming a parent, look at health insurance at your employer. My husband's company pays 100% of our health insurance premium, which means we only pay our co-pays, and this is for both him, me, and any children we have. If we were using my company's health insurance, it would cover 90% for me, 80% for my husband, and only 60% for children. That would mean if we used my company's health insurance, I would be spending literally hundreds of dollars on health insurance every month in addition to all the co-pays. Infertility. For anyone who may have issues getting pregnant, a lot of company health plans, like mine, do not cover IVF or other infertility treatments at all, which means it would be 100% out of pocket. In the Bay Area, IVF costs just shy of $30,000, and the chances of success are not as high as people might think. 35%. And success is measured on becoming pregnant, not birthing a healthy child. So a miscarriage would still be counted in the 35% success category. Ugh. I have so many other examples, but I don't want to subject you to a novella-esque rant, but I bet your listeners have many more examples and lots of good advice. I love an episode on the cost of being a parent slash guardian. Thank you for all you do. Anonymous. Oh, yes. I can't, I fully cannot imagine being a parent right now. I fully cannot imagine the cost of having a child right now. Uh, That email stressed me out so much. And you're right. Like, this is going to sound like a thing that people do when they compare their dogs to babies. But I am uh, by myself for two weeks while my partner's on tour and the dog got sick and I cannot imagine being a single parent. Like single parents deserve $500,000 a month. Like they deserve a million dollars a day. Like the amount of help that you need to be a guardian for anything, let alone a human child is out of, I can't even fathom it. So thank you so much, Anonymous. Um, I will probably be doing an episode about this pretty soon. This is an email from Betty. Hi, Gabby. Last year, I took on some part-time work as an administrative assistant to a local entrepreneur. I don't want to give specifics, but he was established and paid on time, and it was a great way to earn supplemental income that didn't affect my unemployment. I left that position when I got a regular full-time job. 
During my employment with this guy, he gave me a company Amex card to make purchases, reservations, etc. as part of my regular duties. No big deal. I offered to return it after I left the company, but he said it was fine. Just toss it because he already deactivated it. A few months ago, I got a notice from Credit Karma that my score had gone up. My credit had been in the dumpster for most of my life. I'm in my 40s. But I logged in to see what was new with my awful credit score anyway. To my surprise, the Amex card was attached to my credit score. I never checked on any of this because when you know your credit is a mess, it feels dumb to even check it. So I had no idea this card had ever appeared on my credit score anyway. My student loan had also been removed from my score. They had been taking money out of my check for years for this, and I guess I paid them off. I'm not sure, honestly, and I'm scared to ask. What if my asking makes them look at my case and realize they are supposed to get more money from me? Anyway, the Amex card was being paid off every month to the tune of thousands of dollars. It had improved my score enough that I was able to afford the down payment on a secured credit card, which I've been paying off regularly, either paying it off entirely or at least paying it down to 30% every payday. But now I'm thinking about that Amex card and what it might do to my credit if I have it removed or if the guy can't pay it off. My score took a ding with the credit inquiry for the secured credit card, and I'm scared about how much worse it will be if I have that Amex card removed. What are your thoughts? Thank you for everything you do and how diligent you are about pointing out the difficulties of financial health for people who are marginalized due to gender, race, sexuality, neurodivergence, and more. Thanks also to Mal for sharing so honestly about living with ADD. All the best, Betty. Uh, Mal is my partner, and we did an episode about ADHD and neurodivergence and money, which you can find by searching for Mal Blum on this show. Mal's been on the show a few times. If you enjoy them, head on over. Yes, Betty, I think you should ask about the card because what if this guy goes bankrupt and stops paying it off and it ruins your credit? It's hard to get a credit score error fixed anyway. I think it takes a little bit of time for them to do it and it takes time to take effect, but it just made me nervous reading your email because I don't know this guy and you don't know this guy and having him so intimately involved in your credit score seems like a huge risk to me. Um, Your score might take a ding. I don't think you have to ask about the student loans. I know that's bad advice, but honestly, maybe it is bad advice. I don't know. But honestly, like, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But this one has to do with someone else. And you're relying on someone else's financial behavior to affect something as important as a credit score. So I really do think you got to take that off. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, when we return, I'm going to read an email about participating in medical testing for money and a reply to our medical tourism episode, then one from Nadine about real estate investing, and one from Ariel about pelvic floor PT. I also have news about Patreon merch, and I'm going to promote Stimulus Rec again. Okay, so this is an email about real estate from Nadine. Hi, Gabby. Investing in real estate is something that gets a lot of coverage in traditional finance streams. But surprise, surprise, they don't cover the ethics of investing in real estate at all. I would love it if you could do an episode breaking down real estate investing from a financial as well as ethical perspective. What are the pros and cons of long-term rental properties versus Airbnb properties versus real estate investment trusts? Is it possible to make a profit as a landlord without being evil? Can you rent an Airbnb without contributing to housing shortages? What are the ethics of investing in real estate versus stocks? I'm considering buying a cabin at some point in the future that could be a combination Airbnb and holiday location, but trying to wrap my head around whether this is actually a good idea. Love your work, Nadine. Yes, I think that it might be possible, but I think it won't be as profitable, which to me is fine. I've said that on this show countless times. This show is not here to make you rich. Um, It's here to make you think and to make you stable. So... 
I know that there are a lot of problems with Airbnbs. I think uh, it takes up a lot of space and causes housing problems because it jacks up the prices and also creates a shortage for housing. Um, I know also that sometimes people rent out the properties for way, way too much money, which causes the rent in other parts of that same area to rise. Um, It also creates a different type of person who's able to live in that property, which is then obviously something that contributes to gentrification and pushing out the locals or the people that have lived there and supported that community for a very long time, which largely is POC. I would love to have someone on who believes all landlords are evil and that there is no possible ethical way to own property and that owning property is actually white supremacy in itself. I'm going to look for someone who has that opinion to have on because I do think we have not heard from, we've heard from people like me who are sort of uh, on the fence, but we haven't heard from someone who's like, absolutely, this is wrong. And I would love to hear that person's opinion. So I'm going to look into that, Nadine. And I think uh, that is someone worth having on the show. So thank you for the suggestion. Okay, now we're going to read an email from Ariel that says, Hi, Gabby, longtime listener, first time caller. I was listening to the most recent TikTok mailbag and had to email you right away. I'm a pelvic floor PT and I have thoughts. I usually see folks who are already pregnant or postpartum and the most common remark I always get is no one told me about X. And worst of all, many of these issues are treated with wait and see or brushed off as normal. Spoiler alert, it's not normal and folks can get better. Anyway, would love to help with a pregnancy episode or be a guest. So excited for you to explore this topic with your URM lens. Sincerely, Ariel. And URM, I realized I looked it up and it's underrepresented minority. I didn't know that. So see, no one told me about X and now I've learned. Um, This, I think, is related to our medical tourism episode. Uh, We talk a lot with Lee Halperin about um, her problems related to birth control and how a lot of her medical issues started with blood clots. Um, And so I think with childcare and pregnancy, we might be overdue, according to your emails, for another episode about that. So I hear you, I'm listening, and we'll do it. I did an episode a long time ago with Anna Sale, if you want to look that up, about um, childcare costs and pregnancy costs, and I write about it in my book, Bad With Money, but we might be due for an update because I think that Anna Sale episode was years ago, and I'm sure there's more information now that healthcare has changed and uh, there's a shortage of doctors and (sighs) COVID, you know? So thank you for the idea. Now I'm going to read another email that's about our medical tourism episode. Hi, Gabby. Longtime listener, first-time emailer. Thank you for your episode on medical tourism. I really appreciated hearing new perspectives on the topic. As an uninsured American, this episode gave me hope for the future of my healthcare. I had never considered medical tourism as an option for everyday treatments or yearly exams. Now I'm going to do a lot more research, and I feel hopeful about taking care of myself long-term. I'm an entrepreneur and I could go on and on about how antithetical U.S. policies are to quote-unquote the American dream. So I really appreciate that part of the episode with Leahy too. All the best, Caitlin. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you for writing in. Here is an email from Sam about medical testing. Dear Gabby, I'm a huge fan of your show and thought I'd contact you in regards to an idea I had for a potential episode. I don't think you've talked about this before on the show and if so, please disregard this. I'm a graduate student currently, and to make extra money, sometimes I participate in research studies at my university and answer surveys in the hopes of getting called back as a participant. Some of these I have been lucky enough to participate in, even managing to sometimes make a couple hundred dollars at a time. Some of these are in a way sort of selling my body to science, though, as I have given blood samples, urine samples, etc. A friend of mine is even doing one where she's selling her stool sample for over $100. 
Obviously, there's different ethical opinions with this, but I'm curious what your other viewers would have to say to this idea, and if doing studies like this as a sort of side hustle is worth it, or if they would think it's controversial, unethical, etc. I really love your show, by the way. Thank you for all your hard work. Best, Sam. Oh, I would love to hear what you guys think about this. Um, I don't think it's unethical. I think it's probably a really nice way for people to make a quick buck. Um, I have a friend who uh, was very into selling platelets and plasma. It does take a toll on your body. The big thing I will say is that it made her really tired and it made her feel not so great for days on end. And if that is something you can factor in, you can factor it in. But it it's highly dystopian, but I won't judge anyone who does it. I won't say that you shouldn't do it. Um, but I do think be really, really, really careful with your body and your health. But also, I'm not, this isn't a show where we're, we're not realistic about what needs to happen. I've talked about sex work. I've talked about other things that might be considered selling your body. I would even categorize working in a factory or working a job that causes strain on you, bodily strain, repetitive motion and things like that, where like people who have worked in factories have had really terrible carpal tunnel and tennis elbow. Like a lot of jobs are, are selling your body, quote unquote, so I'm not going to say that that's not an option because I think it really is an option for a lot of people, but I I think be really, really careful. Um, and I would love to hear about people's experiences. Like, please write in if you have an experience with medical testing or with um, selling blood samples, urine samples, stool samples, anything like that for money. I would be very curious what people's experiences are, whether positive or negative. Okay, here's an email about carnism. Dear Gabby, I hope you are well. I enjoyed listening to your episodes on veganism a few weeks ago and wanted to thank you for reading the letter from a fellow listener who briefly explained carnism. This term was coined by Dr. Melanie Joy and introduced in her best-selling book, Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows. I work with Melanie's nonprofit organization, Beyond Carnism, which is dedicated to exposing and transforming carnism and strengthening the system that challenges it, veganism. We believe that people need and deserve to know the truth about carnism so they can make their food choices freely because without awareness, there is no free choice. We're really appreciative of the listener who took the time to write in, but I think what wasn't fully explained in the letter is that violent systems such as carnism keep themselves alive by using defense mechanisms so that rational, compassionate people participate in irrational, inhumane practices without fully realizing what they are doing. These defenses include denial, justification, and cognitive distortions, and they hide the truth about animal agriculture and distort what little we are able to see, so that we support a system we would likely otherwise find deeply offensive and unethical. Carnistic defenses are both powerful and fragile. They have a powerful impact on us when we are unaware of them, but they lose much of their power when they are made visible. So when we recognize carnistic defenses, we are able to make food choices that reflect what we authentically think and feel, rather than what we have been taught to think and feel. If you'd like to understand carnism better, I encourage you to visit our website. I'm also happy to answer any questions you may have. I'd love to send you a copy of Why We Love Dogs, Eat Pigs, and Wear Cows if you're interested in reading the book. Thank you so much. Best wishes, Nirali. That was really well put. Um, I am, again, like I said in this show, I'm, I'm very interested in people with really intense, unrelenting viewpoints that I had not considered or that might be different than mine. As long as they're not actively harming anyone and obviously as long as they are an opinion that I like might, like could might get on board with at some point. Uh, so I am interested in this. I, I would love a copy of the book. I'll get back to you about that. Yeah, the emails about carnism were really, really interesting. If you want to go back and listen to a couple of the mailbags that mentioned veganism, people had a lot of really interesting things to say. 
Okay. So one thing I want to say is that if you are a patron, uh, patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, some merch should have gone out to you by now. Um, there are stickers, bags, all this stuff. So if you are on a tier that has merch, that merch has shipped. I've seen it. If you are interested in other types of merch for Bad With Money and this show, uh, you can go to gabbydunn.com slash shop and my sister will mail you the merch from my garage. Um, we are a top tier organization over here. I also want to promote my AMP show. If you go to the app AMP every Wednesday at 8 a.m., I am there doing This Week in Gay. I spin gay tunes, talk about gay history, interview gay people. Head on over if you're interested. It's at 8 a.m. every Wednesday on AMP. And finally, please go get Stimulus Rec. It is a lovely companion to this podcast. If you want to hear me read it, you can get the audiobook. All of it is free, free, free. Uh, it is a really lovely addendum to this show and a really lovely addendum to the Bad With Money book. I'm very happy that Scribd allowed me to write this and put this out. So if you want, please go to try.scribd.com slash done60 and you can get Stimulus Rec, which you can read or listen to for free. Okay, I would love to hear from you about any of this. Please be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. The voicemail allows you to talk for, I think, six or three minutes, something like that. Voice memo can be as long as you want. We've gotten ones that are 16 minutes long. I don't play all of it, but send me a full hour long voice memo if you want. Please don't. Join our online communities too. We are on Instagram, Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Do not forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Listening the day it drops really helps. Also, five-star Apple reviews really help. Thank you so much, guys. Love you. Bye.